0: Like, um... I knew I wanted to study at NYU, and I had apply, and my parents really wanted me. I was like good in school, so they were like, "Go to Harvard, or you know, do mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. be a lawyer or a doctor." So I had three college applications, uh, to Harvard, Columbia, and NYU, and I sabotaged the other two. Like what? I, I you wrote act- actively sabotaged. Them? Yeah, I wrote bad application statements, being like, "My dad is forcing me to apply to these colleges." Yo, so you <laughs> said that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, <laughs> I only
1: Kind of badass. Eita Brasil. Tá comigo. New York, I know you. I
0: know you I know you. Yeah.
1: What's up, humans? Welcome back to La Mescla, the show where we explore all of the intricacies, intersections, and incredible awkwardness of being a mixed race or first generation human in this country. My name is Adrian Burke. I'm the creator and host of this program, and I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you to everybody who's subscribed. Uh, please continue to tell people about the show, because I would love for people to know about it and for 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 people to know about it. Okay, let's talk about our guest our guest this week is the wonderful kyung h park uh kyung is a mixed chilean and korean uh playwright theater artist uh, interdisciplinary artist i would say i don't think he would disagree uh he's the author of many many plays including disoriented tala and pillow talk which premiered last year at the tank Uh, he's been published all over the place, including by Duke University Press. This dude is legit, everyone. Uh, Kyung runs his own theater company based out of Brooklyn called Kyung's Pacific Beat. Uh, and they have a wonderful, wonderful mission that you'll hear all about. Um, Kyung actually reached out to me to be on the show, which is a first for La Mescla. I just want to declare that for all my fans. And by my fans, I mean my mom's friends that listen to this show. Um, uh, it feels great that the show's growing. Uh, and I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. Kyung and I talked about growing up in Chile uh, with a Korean family and then about immigrating to the United States to be a theater artist and sort of all the challenges and you know kind of inherent trauma that that involved. Uh, it's a really, really great conversation. I'm really excited for I'm really excited for you to hear it. <laughs> uh, okay, I hope you enjoy. Stay on this road, man, what?
0: Spent some time uh, meeting with uh, two of my frequent collaborators: okay. our set and lighting designer and our costume designer, Marie and Andy. For
1: your, they're are they like resident for your company? Yeah.
0: Or? So they're resident designers in my theater company called Kyung Specific Beat. And we just had lunch and we talked um, about projects that are ongoing, new projects that we may work on together. Cool. And, yeah. That's yeah. way more productive than I was. I'm low key kind
1: of sick right now okay <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think it's a contagious thing so this is embarrassing but i'm gonna be honest about it okay so i think i got sun poisoning do you know what that is no see i, I didn't know, know that was a thing either what's sun poisoning but it's an unfortunate side effect of my whiteness okay <laughs> i think because <laughs> uh, i went out i went out on wednesday it was really beautiful and sunny and i uh-huh. went out and i played basketball with the kids in my neighborhood and it was uh-huh. really fun it was like a great workout whatever and i got home and then like three hours later i was like nauseous i had chills oh no was like vomiting oh no uh and i'm told that for people with my skin tone uh-huh. <laughs> uh you can not only and i it, i didn't even get burned like usually i get sunburned but there's this there's this thing beyond sunburn called sun poisoning apparently Jesus. everyone where literally the sun poisons you the sounds horrible <laughs> yeah it's been a trip and i literally just came from here i came from an oh. audition i told you i had to, yeah. i came from an audition it was like a tv audition and i
0: feel i felt like absolute shit but i had to like, be like a police officer That <laughs> oh, was ridiculous so what's the symptoms like you have headaches you feel faint. it's,
1: it's basically like, like the same symptoms you would have if you got like the stomach flu or something oh, but it's wow. just not contagious like okay. the stomach flu is. But I like, did not
0: even know this could happen. Yo, I'm, yeah. ki- I'm killing it right <laughs> now. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm
1: absolutely crushing
0: it. Uh, okay, great.
1: Why don't we, because okay. instead of talking about my bullshit, why don't you, <laughs> welcome to La Mescla, why don't you introduce you. yourself to our audience and tell us uh, where your parents are from and where you're from and
0: where you were raised. Okay, so my name is Kyung Park and I am a third generation North Korean. Okay. Um, I Uh, All of my grandparents escaped North Korea before the war. My parents were born and raised in South Korea, and then they left. Um, When this dictatorship of Park Chung-hee fell in 1979, they immigrated to Santiago, Chile, and I was born there.
1: Ah, I didn't realize you were actually born in Chile.
0: Yeah, I was born in Santiago, uh, and then I lived there um, till I finished high school and moved to New York um, to go to college um, in two thousand. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. what's
1: what what was growing up in Chile like? Because I always, as I'm the South American also, but was raised here. So I always have the
0: fantasy of like, ah, what if I was actually born there? Yeah. Um, Chile was very interesting. I think um, (laughs) I didn't know what it was like to grow anywhere else but Chile. So, you know, I didn't think about it much. Right, of course. You know, life. But um, my parents uh, lived um, at first in this really. kind of interesting immigrant community that had a lot of Korean immigrants and also lots of Palestinian immigrants. Okay. Um, and then we moved closer to my school once I started going to school. And uh, we lived more in the suburbs of Santiago. So I was like a little more disconnected from the city itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I went to like this, um, uh, what is this, international private school? Okay. Yeah, and I was one of those like immigrant kids going to that school... And most of my classmates were coming in and out because of their parents' jobs like every two three years. Mm-hmm. But I went there my entire life and it was like school in English, uh, my family spoke Korean, and then the rest of the world was in Spanish. Jesus. So that's yeah. like code switching on code switching. Lots of code switching, and uh, very confusing for my identity. Uh, now I look back, and I feel really lucky uh, that I got to grow up in three different languages, but mm-hmm. it, it was really confusing. Yeah, kind of growing up, I'd fight a lot with my parents about being Chilean, and they'd be like, but you're Korean. Mm. Um, and, and my parents, I think, you know, as immigrants, really wanted to preserve, like, culture and tradition and language Mm. and our eating customs and you know, um and I was like, but I was born in Chile and I'm Latino. Um mm-hmm. so so that was like a and big And they were thing. trying they were trying to pull you back towards the heritage. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um and Chile also was like an interesting country then, like it was transitioning from this dictatorship right. to democracy with Pinochet. So Oof. um yeah, so <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> it was like a very socially repressed. For kind all of, of my culture. white for all of my white comedian
1: friends who <laughs> listen to this show who you definitely don't know who P- P- is? Like, look that up. It's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was scary. And I mean, I think, you know, that history was something that we didn't really talk about even in school. Mm-hmm. So so there were like a lot of unknowns of like, where do I come from? What was Chile? Like, even my parents didn't tell me that we we're North Korean until I was 27 and I got my mom drunk and asked oh. her where we come from. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. what? Yeah. What, so, forever, f- so forever, they were just saying South Korean? So they were saying South Korean or Korean, but they'd never specified that my grandparents were North Korean. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that just yeah. came out when you got them drunk? At 27. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was really... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It was, yeah. Uh, my uh, my grandparents, there's only one of them still with us, um, but my mother's parents, they like died holding land deeds to a home they never got to go back to. So it's like very, like the Korean war and its impact is like still kind of fresh in wow. our family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think because of that, it was really hard for them to talk about that. And politically, I mean, like, you know, to say you're North Korean is to like, I don't know, say I'm a terrorist. So it's, yeah. So, so, so there was a lot of secrecy around that, but, um, but I found out and then, you know, I found out more about Chile's history, um, actually while being here and kind of looking back at the country I came from and putting some of that history down in my plays. Um, and, uh... And, and and you know, for a while, I just kind of also knew that Chile wasn't the place that I wanted to live in because I wanted to be an artist. So I, my dream growing up was always to be in New York. Um, or I guess like my teenage years, like I really decided to kind of like come here. Um, yeah, so where do you think that comes from? When did you start
1: doing artistic stuff? Was that always a presence or did that come up as you started to get older?
0: Yeah, um, I think I... I was really shy. I had like bad social skills growing up. Who <laughs> and... <laughs> did it? Who did it? But I don't I, think anybody I've had on the show has been like, I was a social, except for maybe one person, <laughs> has been like, I was a social butterfly. Everybody loved me. Yeah. I, no, but like my situation was chronic. Like my, my, my fourth grade school teachers call my parents and be like, Kyung has no friends. Oh. And he spends every break and lunch break reading books in the library. Like you've got to oh, you do were something. that kid. Yeah, okay. I was that kid. Um, and then, um, but then I got involved in theater and acting and that's when I was just like, oh, this is different. Um, what are we talking? School plays? Um, reciting poems in front of class Ah, and then doing more like school plays when I was in middle school. Do you remember what the first poem was? homework oh homework i hate you you stink I oh my god I you remember every <laughs> word of course you remember every word homework homework i, I hate you you, you stink. stink and then something keeps going i wish i could throw you away in the sink and, and this is in english right Cause yeah in
1: school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah this was fourth grade fifth grade fifth grade um, I played Dracula in eighth grade. Hell yeah. Um, and then we had like this really cool drama teacher in high school and she, uh, cast us to do really serious plays. I did like Molire Whoa! in 10th grade and we did like lots of UNESCO. We did UNESCO. You did UNESCO? <laughs> Aren't those like super abstract? Like <laughs> they don't make no sense plays? Yeah and like like she was really yes that's what we did <laughs> oh my and god I was john yes wow and um good she, for that teacher she was amazing miss connell i still remember her and she lived in my neighborhood so i would cat sit for her once in yeah. a while when she was out of town. so yeah.
1: I, I this is super interesting just because i've i've always had the thing of like i grew up speaking spanish as my first language i grew up speaking it in the house and then english slowly started winning the battle as i grew up here yeah but you had three languages fighting each other yeah so like at this point in time like. As you're doing homework homework I hate you sting. stink yeah like, is
0: there a language that's sort of winning the battle at this point are you trying to assimilate into Chile mm. yeah so I think I grew up speaking Korean until I started going to school and then that totally went out the window and I was uh, primarily a Spanish speaker uh-huh. um, but then when I when I started going to this other school and everything was in English I think because of my education I just started thinking and writing and kind of processing things more in English. Okay. Um, And now that's like definitely my dominant language. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then my Korean kind of waned to the point where I made a promise to my parents that I would learn Korean once I got into college because I couldn't really um, focus on learning Korean Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager. Um, And there was like this Saturday Korean school that... um, the, the parents in the community ran, and they would volunteer to teach Korean language on Saturdays for kids. And, and, and it was just too tough, you know, with like all the homework and school and waking up early on a Saturday. I was just like, this isn't gonna work. Um, and uh, so, so I studied Korean once I enrolled in college, and then I lived in Korea for a few years, and that's when I really learned Korean. Uh, so, yeah. so
1: where did you go to
0: college? So I came here for um, to study at NYU. Oh okay, yeah. so you yeah. came to the
1: states for college. Yeah, I okay. came
0: yeah, I it, I did uh, the film program in NYU for a year and then um, they crushed my uh, dreams. So <laughs> <laughs> I went into dramatic writing. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do they wh-
1: what do we mean here crush your dreams?
0: Well, they do this interesting thing where they like gather I think every um, everyone in the undergraduate class and ask how many of you dream of being a director so of course everyone raises everyone their is. hands yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they're like well statistically maybe one out of every four graduating classes gets to direct a feature film so right, right just the odds were so tough and also you know I was new to the city I was an immigrant I I was living away from home for the first time in wait what so who did this the president of the program uh, or like th- one of the teachers. I think it's something that you hear a lot, just like in your first year. I mean, sure, that's statistically realistic, but like, fuck that person. That's not what you're there for. In yeah. That program. I, I mean, maybe it's like tough love. Maybe it's like the you know. That sounds um, like somebody's bitter. It sounds like someone who's <laughs> teaching at NYU <laughs> and they're bitter. <laughs> yeah. So you transition to creative writing. I, yeah, and then and then and then um, this player wrote um, got produced through a student club, and it took me back to theater and what I used to do and love. And I was just like, "Wow, um, this is amazing!" And and I just stuck with playwriting for a while. Yeah, and now still, yeah. And how have,
1: how have the parents felt about the
0: creative stuff in general? Oh, they hated it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, they, they like. Um, I knew I wanted to study at NYU and I had a apply- and my parents really wanted me I was like Good in school, so they were like, "Go to Harvard or you know, do mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. be a lawyer or a doctor." So I had three college applications uh, to Harvard, Columbia, and NYU, and I sabotaged the other two. Like what? I, you I wroteively them? Yeah, I wrote bad application statements, being like, "My dad is forcing me to apply to these colleges." Yo, so you <laughs> said that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, I only oddly kind of badass. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's Like
0: I only want to go to this one school, um, so
1: I don't. I don't think there are many people who could say <laughs> I actively sabotaged my Ivy League <laughs> school applications.
0: It was, I just, it was bad. I mean, because it would, NYU was the only art school I was applying to. So I just kind of felt like it was my only choice. And then, you know, we fought about it so bad. I'd had, I had relatives in Korea calling me and being like, but you're so good in school. Why are you doing mm, this? Mm-hmm. Um, like, they were very discouraging. That's why you got to be like me and be
1: not good in school. And everybody's like, great, just don't go to prison. Just don't, yeah. <laughs> don't kill anyone.
0: <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, yeah, wait, oh, oh, no. So, okay, so what ended up happening was my dad tore all my college applications up because he was like, if you're going to art school, you're not going at all. They were like that against it. Wow. They're much better now, but they were very resistant to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like an easy time.
1: <laughs> how about so? How about this? Because I, I'm super interested in this. So you've been an immigrant in two
0: different countries. Now. Mm-hmm. How, how does being an immigrant in Chile compare to being an immigrant here? Mm-hmm. So I think because I was born in Chile, there was never any question about my Chileanness. Sure. At the moment, I'm like, no, I was born. Right. I should, girl, have said, you know? should have said first generation. Yeah, in Chile. yeah. Um, I, I think you know, I got I got racial slurs. People would call me Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, but but other than that, because I was born and fluent in the language, there was never any problem. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience immigrating here was much more complicated. I think, I think it took maybe like. Um, 15 years and i don't know how many visas before i got my residence card so Mm. it was like a lot of legal thank you thank (laughs) you that's like a battle that's a big deal that's (laughs) a big deal yeah yeah so so it just took a while to kind of make it work here um but uh but yeah, I, th- I I mean, it's like here you're fighting for your dream, right? So you just kind of go for it. That's yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah. That's great. So yeah. you graduate from NYU. Mm-hmm. You graduate
0: in the creative writing program. In the dramatic writing program, yeah. Dramatic writing. Yeah.
1: And you're are you focusing
0: specifically on playwriting? So I focused on playwriting. And then um, I've been writing plays, yeah, since 2003. And then um, last year... I started a media company with a classmate of mine from NYU. Um, it's been about 20 years since we graduated. Mm-hmm. And most of us are like, we had dreams. You know, what Yay. happened to our dreams? It's a <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're kind of coming together again. And um, and also, yeah, just kind of figuring out, is there a way for us to work together and and make film and TV the way we kind of dreamed of? making it happen. Mm. Yeah. So, but I've got my theater company and I'm focused on playwriting. I've been writing plays for so many years. I've got enough material to keep working for the next few years. Nice. Um, Yeah. But then also, you know, at this point it's just... Um, I kind of know what it's like to produce theater and I did have these dreams of also working film and TV. So, so why not try both, you know? Gotcha. Yeah.
1: How do you say, given the theater is what you have a little bit more experience in at this point, how do you see your work fitting into the scene in New York? Because the theater scene for all, it's like, we're these New York, like liberals, like it's still a very old white scene. So how do you see yourself fitting in? What's the experience been like?
0: Hmm. So I think, you know, um, I actually was told by literary managers I would never have a career if I wrote about being Korean. Like, it was so... Gotta love it. <laughs> I mean, gotta like, love And that. it's like, you know, and it comes from a place of love. But they sat you down really... and they were like, exactly. raise your hand if you want to be a writer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what I realized was um, my stories were too unboxable. You know, it's like, they're not Asian, they're not Latino. Like, like what do we... Like, is there an audience for this? How... like? It, it just was so out of the box um, that I started doing a lot of work downtown where I found that you could really kind of rebel against, you know, the expectations and the typical narratives people expect you to uh, write about or uh, and, and, and also, like, aesthetically, you know, just be free to do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah so, I think that's an
1: interesting thing that yeah. mi- mixed artists especially deal with of, like, not only are stories about uh, any minority group not going to be as marketable as the dominant group, but then also like, oh, well, your minority story doesn't even fit neatly into one minority box. Yeah. Like, it actually sprawls across a couple. So like mm-hmm. old white literary managers are going to just cock their head and be like, well, I can't even say you're the Korean dude. Exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think, uh, and, 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 and so also, you know, like I also don't want to just be seen as one thing right. too. So like that also becomes, you know, like an issue because sometimes people just want to pick the side of you that, that they think, you know, maybe could work right. and, and you are like, no, I'm a whole complex human being with multiple identities. And, you know, right. I want to be all of them at the same time. Yeah.
1: Um, but then the question in my mind becomes like, do I need to for the first like, five years or so just like say i'm this one thing and Mm. then i can like low-key sneak around once
0: i have a little power like i don't know it's like this icky question we have to ask ourselves sometimes yeah i mean i think definitely for the more mainstream fair, you know it really helps if you can kind of just like pick something you know yeah but i i think when i was first finding my voice and writing my place, I realized that I wanted to write with the complexity of what my identity was. And because of that, I couldn't just uh, pick us a thing. you know, It actually it, it was actually kind of traumatic because when I look at my early plays, all my characters and my different identities were so fragmented because there was no integrity to the way I saw myself, that even my stories were really kind of broken and, and jagged and, and not very good or beautiful kind of stories because it was so fractured, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and I couldn't tell a coherent narrative cause my sense of self was also kind of broken. So interesting. I had to find a way to tell better stories to really integrate my identities into a comprehensive whole. Cause if not, I couldn't tell you a story from beginning to end. I'd just be, like, all over the place.
1: So do you feel like our ability as artists to tell stories is at least somewhat derived from our ability to, like, have a narrative about ourself? Oh, I mm, I think for me... Because there's plenty of artists out there who are like, I'm broken, I don't know myself, but I'm brilliant. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I don't... I think if I had found an ability to, perhaps like an actor, immerse myself in the story of another Mm. and really tell that story, I would have been able to maybe write plays like that as well. But there was, you know, in my 20s, like this moment where I was really trying to find my own sense of identity and writing my story down was part of that journey and that healing process of figuring out who I was. And, And the biggest thing was, is like... I'm also gay, and I was in the closet till I was 28. Sheesh. And I was writing all of these stories of relationships that didn't work out in my life as these, like, hetero stories Usually, with like white men and women on stage. And I was like, I do not see myself, even though I am writing something that just happened to me, you know? Yeah, shit. So so that's when I realized I need to fully come out, you know, and be very authentic about who I am because the disconnect, you know, between me trying to tell my story and what I was seeing on stage was just so bizarre. That that I just realized, you know, unless I can be honest about who I am and tell this story, like I'm gonna I'm gonna suffer some sort of disassociation of reality yeah, or that's something. Like a, looking in a funhouse mirror, <laughs> exactly like a white know? America funhouse mirror. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you came out when you were 28. Yeah.
1: Shit. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I came out when I was in college to m- many people, but then. Um, but then I, I lost my visa i had to leave and then i went to live in korea for a few years and i went back in the closet which was horrible mm-hmm. and
1: then i'm uh, assuming it's not a great deal to be out of the closet in korea no super <laughs> repressive yeah yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, no um, <laughs> and, um, it was and and it was and it was like and 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 you know, it's like you're doing. You you live in the closet for survival, but it's like when you start retelling your entire life story as a lie, and you know you're fabricating actively a lie about your life because you have to, like, heteronormatize like your narrative. Mm-hmm. Like you're just like, oh shit, like this can't be good. Um, and uh, and then and then when I came back to New York, I decided to come out. Um, And, 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 and that's when, yeah, a lot of things like changed. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was mostly like a coming out, like, like I, I had to come out to my dad. Everyone else knew except my dad, but Mm -hmm. living in the closet for like four years in Korea was just like, I was at a point where I had a really stable job teaching at a university. And I thought, you know, maybe I could do this for the rest of my life. I mean, it was a comfy job, and there were, like, professors that were just, like, crossing out every year that they were teaching, counting to their sabbatical, and just, like, Almost like in jail, just crossing out the years, you know, until they retire. And I was like, no, I don't, I'm not ready to like, you know, settle for this and kind of call it That's how pretty
1: much every steady day job has felt to me. Yeah. (laughs) It was just like crossing off the days. I'm like, oh, I have someone telling me I have this many days to be myself (laughs) this year. Like, fuck that. And then just like exit stage right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh,
0: where are your parents living at this point? Are they still in Chile? Mm -hmm. They're still in Chile. And they're still there now. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, and my brother's there, and he had a daughter last two years ago. She's two now. Yeah. Aww. So yeah. So my family's still there. Do you go back often? Yeah, I try to go back more often these days. Um, maybe once a year if I'm mm-hmm. lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what going back to uh, being in the New York scene? How have you felt uh, in terms of people seeing you as like? not only a Korean artist, but also a, mm. a Latino artist and also like an immigrant. Like talk to me right. about like
0: the way this scene has received you, you think? Um, I don't, hmm. I don't know. I think, um, I think I've think i been really lucky to find people that share a similar experience than I do. And um, I think I'm really lucky that we. I've been able to kind of grow an ensemble a theater company with people that kind of identify a bit with my journey. Mm-hmm. And yeah, tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, uh, the company is called Kyung's Pacific Beat, and it's got a mission to work with artists and non-artists in local communities to transform personal and communal experiences of oppression into peace messages made public through performance. That's like our official mission. Yeah, that was like <laughs> verbatim. Yes. That was verbatim. <laughs> I did this a lot. <laughs> so
1: where did the impulse for that mission come from?
0: Um, I, uh, so when I was studying at NYU, 9-11 happened and, uh, yeah. So I was living, um, in Chinatown. I heard the second plane crash into the Twin Towers. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but Pinochet's regime was a CIA backed, uh, military coup that happened on September 11th, 1973.
1: Wow. So I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So growing Mm. up. 9-11. Nine Eleven Already had significance to Exactly. You. Wow. And I thought I was escaping Chile and that military regime. Mm-hmm. And then on my second year of college, I see this happen, like, at the beginning of oh the fall God, semester. Oh, my God. You've been there for
1: two years. Exactly. <gasps>
0: Jesus. So I kind of became really politicized in my writing. And when I wrote about Chile, I would write about this event. Mm. And when I graduated, that was my thesis play. And I had advisors asking me, is this real? You know? Um, And the CIA didn't admit um, they intervened until like three years ago. So for a long time, I was writing about this history that growing up was really censored. And and it wasn't until maybe three years ago that this government admitted their involvement. So for a while, you're just like, am I crazy? Am I political paranoid? Why don't people believe? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and because of 9-11 and all the anti-war protests that I was sort of like witnessing or being involved with, like, I realized that I really cared about peace. So when I was in Korea, I studied peace. And then my theater company is like a way of putting my playwriting and peace studies together. That's great. Yeah. Um, so it's not about identity. It's got like this interesting experimental slash political theater model kind mm-hmm. of combination. But... Um, but it's about, you know, people that are kind of otherwise that don't really fit in the box very well, politically engaged, um, care about, you know, social justice issues. And, um, and then we just built kind of a community and a base of artists and audiences that kind of share similar values and concerns. And, and it becomes a little less about, you know, how we identify, but they're still very personal because like, I think people who have experienced oppression uh, because of their identity or family histories can understand the stories we're telling um, not just historically, but emotionally, you yeah. know? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's like we all experience this kind of like intergenerational trauma. We have families that have experienced war. So there's, I think, you know, like emotionally, like this idea of understanding what, what you know, being a minority and not part of a dominant culture or society, we understand what that feels like. Right. So, so, so our theater is like a space for that, you know? Oh, Jesus, give me not goosebumps. Up- so it's what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> how long has the company existed eight years wow yeah. look at you yeah. two yeah.
1: presidential terms up yeah. in here
0: <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's you know it's like shoestring budgets but but it's it's work that we care about so I think that that's what keeps it going yeah, yeah. absolutely I mean yeah.
1: Jesus Christ do you know how any theater companies exist in this city that are just like me and my seven friends who <laughs> we all went to Tish, like just want to be in place yeah <laughs>
0: I mean, that's great too, you know? (laughs) Well, I, you know like my work is heavy and yeah, sometimes yeah, you yeah. just want like fun you know of course yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. and like i wish i could be more playful you know it's like i i carry i carry baggage with my stories totally but i think there's a balance
1: <laughs> to be struck by that i mean a lot of the stuff i do especially some of the stand up that i'm working on right now yeah. is like trends a little bit more into the dark stuff from mm-hmm. my family's past and from my personal past Yeah, but there's a balance to be struck there like to find do you like do you have like sort of comedic relief elements in your work or humor injected in there
0: yeah um you know i was gonna like give a preamble to like the entire thing because i I, one i'm kind of fangirling a little bit because i've been listening to your podcast for a bit um the idea that anybody and i've said this many times like the
1: audience for this podcast is
0: largely my mom and her friends so the idea that anybody fangirls over this is crazy to me but please Right. And, and it's really funny, you know, because you invited, like, a lot of comedian friends to, like, share stories. So there's, like, humor and lightness. Anyway, uh, wait, what was the question? This was connected to your question. I just can't remember uh, uh, Humor and darkness yes. mixed together. So, so my dream was to be, like, the next great big tragedian. And so, like, I really wanted to write tragedies. Okay. But um, that's really unbearable. Um, so <laughs> I don't want to suffer and I don't want to make people suffer. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that we're in an age yeah. where people want tragedy. No, you know I, know I don't mean? think it's good. I don't think it's good. Yeah, so like, there's even definitely... the great tr- what is it? Tri- tragedians? Is that maybe, how you say it? I'm not sure. I may Yeah. was but... like
1: even like Shakespeare's like most fucked up tragedies were kind of hilarious Yeah. You know, like in yeah. a lot of ways.
0: I think that's the part that I like, you know, but it's usually like the overboard of like, you know, something just being so absurd, because I can't believe this is real yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah. my sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of like the real bitter irony of like harshness actually being reality. Yeah. And and I, I think that that kind of humor is is less of a haha, that's funny, but I'm going to laugh because it's too real, you know? Yeah, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: humor is absolutely how I cope with
0: my shit. Yeah. In case, in case anybody <laughs> who listens to this couldn't tell, hi, my mom's friends, how are you? Uh, but you're very funny. Are you coping with a lot of oh, well, things? Th- I mean,
1: comparatively speaking, no. But, like, I'm coping with enough that it makes me deflect everything into a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Uh, when, how uh, how would you like to see uh, the scene change in the next? Uh, I don't know, five to ten, mm. um, or even beyond that. If we want to go beyond that, yeah, and we can go even we can go as narrow as the New York downtown theater scene, or as broad as like entertainment in general.
0: Yeah, um, I think uh, the the thing that I kind of had to let go of was usually when you dream of being an artist, you think of really iconic people, mm. you know? And when you think of the people, when I think of the people I idolized, I think they were all great individuals. Um, but I realized that that's part of that dominant culture creating idols, you know? Mm. And, and I realized, oh, that's not gonna be, you know, my legacy. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, like, like I'm not gonna become that kind of individual artist. And, and the people that have really broken it down for me are the people that said, Kyung, you've got to think about being an artist as being you know, a worker, and you've really got to just work and do the work. Um, so I feel like in that sense, um, fair pay for working artists. Oh, yes. Please. You know what I mean? Preach. And like just 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 recognizing that the work we do is of value. Um I think especially you know like what my parents concerns were were that, you know, there's this myth of the starving hungry artist that never makes a living out of what they do and just being like um that's i think because the arts are really undervalued in our culture and in our society so so maybe just you know just just getting paid for what we yeah, do jesus do you know how many things i've done for credit yeah. <laughs> for a quote-unquote credit and copy <laughs> visibility yeah oh exposure uh-huh yeah i mean that's that's really rough
1: No, i think it, that's noble as hell and i think that's a a a definitely uh accurate thing and i like it's insane to me that i sometimes have people like asking me for advice on being mm. an artist because i don't know what the fuck i'm doing <laughs> but like whatever people do ask me like people i who are a little younger than me ask me for advice what i say something to the same effect of like this shit is a craft it's a job that you have to work yeah. on every day and you're gonna fit, you're gonna struggle and fail a lot so yeah. be prepared for that uh, yeah because i definitely started out with a much more like rose-tinted uh, mm-hmm. view of what being a working artist is and like holy shit is it hard yeah
0: yeah I mean the the, the myth and and the spells break you know yeah. then it's like yeah but
1: except for like some lucky motherfuckers <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's they're the exceptions Not yeah
0: so it's a lot of work I, I mean I don't I I, I think it's like I think of Gaga's speech and, and, you know, her being like, this was a lot of work, you know, <laughs> just keep doing, it's a lot of work, you know? So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a <laughs> great Gaga impression, by the way. Amazing Gaga impression. <laughs> <laughs> so believable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Okay, I feel like we're, oh, yeah, we're kind of winding down on okay. time. Okay, all there, right. So is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to touch on?
0: Yeah, so I... Um, I really, um, have you ever heard of the um, Mixed Bill of Rights? No. Okay. So I reached out to you. This is what I'm going to do, like, that plug section. Can I do oh, that? Oh, please. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I was part of this Theater of Color gathering that was organized by TCG, Theater Communications Group, by, in St. Louis last year. Uh-huh. And it was basically, after 15 or 20 years, like, the first national gathering of of color. And we had a conversation about how we could all support each other, and towards the end of it, when we are trying to figure out a game plan, they asked us to uh, break out into smaller groups based on our identities. And um, there were, I was sitting next to Miranda Gonzalez from Chicago, and she's Afro Latina. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm black and Latina. I don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm Asian and Latino. I don't know where to go. So this happens all the time. And we're like, can we have like a mixed race space? And we built this table that wasn't planned for, you know, because we, just didn't know where to go and didn't want to choose. Yeah, I love that. Um, and uh, and we had a conversation, and one very simple step that we came out with was we should try to create a table like this in every American theater, Woo. and always have this space available Woo. for mixed race artists. Woo. And the Mixed Bill of Rights was brought up by this actress named Kenesha Foster as something that we should all kind of share out. Okay. So I love your podcast, and I love the focus of your podcast. So since there's a platform, I was like, maybe we should read the Mixed Bill of Rights. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, he has it
1: prepared. I oh, do. He came ready to play with a Gaga impression and a PDF. You'll go for it.
0: Um, okay, so there's three sections. Maybe I'll read the first and then you can do the second and I'll, yeah. Hey, it's your show. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> so this is the Bill of Rights for racially mixed people. I have the right not to justify my existence in this world, not to keep the races separate within me, not to be responsible for people's discomfort with my physical ambiguity, not to justify my ethnic legitimacy.
1: Jesus Christ. So I start the second bit.
0: Mm-hmm. I have the right to identify
1: myself differently than strangers expect me to identify. I'm going to snap after that. To identify myself differently from how my parents identify me. More snaps. To identify myself differently from my brothers and sisters. Snaps. To identify myself differently in different situations. Oh, interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I have the right to create a vocabulary to communicate about being multiracial. Snaps. To change my identity over my lifetime and more than once. Mm, Snaps. To have loyalties and identification with more than one group of people. Mm. And to freely choose whom I befriend and love. Wait, say the last one again? To freely choose whom I befriend and love. Wow. Okay, shit. Who wrote that? So this is... um, Maria P. Root, and she's the author of the multiracial experience, "Racial Borders as the New Frontier." Okay, shout out to her. What's her name again? Marcia Root. Marcia Mar- Maria Root.
1: So. Shout out to Maria Root, who is definitely listening to this. She is one of my mom's friends. Yes, <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Can you send that to me? Yes, when you have I a will.
0: Chance? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God! Great. Yeah. yeah. How does that feel for you?
1: Ah, uh, I'm feeling a lot of things. I feel like I want to read it a couple more times, but yeah. definitely the the ability to change how I identify over time because that's something I relate to heavy. Mm-hmm. For the better half, for the better part of the first half of my life so far, I tr- was very much trying to be like an everyday white American and mm. that's changed over the last couple of years. Um, to identify as something different than what your parents identify you as is super heavy. Everything on that list, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just want to read it a bunch more hey, okay. times. Okay. Yeah. I'll um, send but I'll to definitely you. I'll post it when I post this episode. Cool. Uh, Thank you. That's great. That's awesome. Cool. Ugh. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything you want to plug? Do you have any shows coming up? Um... Or you can just plug the company in the... Yeah, uh, Kyung Specific
0: Beat, follow us on Facebook. We're gonna start working on a new show in the fall. Um, and uh, Critical Care Media is the media company that I'm starting. So if uh, you care about healing media, uh, join us at Critical Care. Amazing. Okay, do the Gaga impression one more time. This is a lot
1: of work. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot of work. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) I think we'll call it there. Goodbye, everybody. And that's it for this week's episode of La Mezcla Thank you so much to Kion Park for coming in Thank you to Simple Studios for the recording space Thank you to everybody who has listened Subscribed, left a review Left like a star rating It really means a lot that people keep up with the show Uh, I'm coming up on Almost a year exactly Of of making and releasing this show Uh, So it feels crazy That people still give a shit about it uh so really thank you to you and please help spread the word and whatnot Also vend mommy money I'm broke okay goodbye inspira so I know then the small feast and of all that I know for all that I live love and loyalty is <laughs> as real as it gets put your elves up in the air like this Say put your L's up in the air like this Way to go, but as far as I know